Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome, everyone. Thank you for choosing the Fired Up podcast. Uh, We appreciate it every week uh, that you're downloading. That's really excellent. And like I said, I am most grateful for all of you listeners out there. Uh, Let's see. So uh, let's get let's get the COVID numbers out of the way first, and then we'll get into some other housekeeping things. Uh, So as of this week, we are at 86.2 million cases. uh, One million 13,000 people have died from the disease and 590 million people have been vaccinated that's both first and second uh, doses Um, you know I bring you these numbers each week so that from our our collective consciousness uh, it hopefully doesn't just become you know so much background noise and something that we don't pay attention to we need to keep track of how many people are still getting infected with COVID, uh, how many people we've lost, and how many people are taking active steps of getting their vaccinations. So uh, we keep this as a feature of the show each week, and hopefully uh, it helps and it encourages some of you to go out and you know take care of business with regard to protecting yourselves from COVID. So, all right. Um, As you may know, if you've been a longtime listener to uh, first the radio show and now the podcast, uh, I generally record these on the Sunday prior to their air date, uh, in part because that's the way the the schedule for the week works. And majority reason is it allows me to try and capture all of the latest news so that I can bring you the information on what's going on in the political machine in this country uh, as close to up to the minute as possible. Uh, it still manages sometimes that I will finish the show, record it, package it, ship it off to, uh, to Jamie and WJMS for posting, and some new story will break on you know, Monday morning that I wish I could have recorded uh, some information on, but I have to wait a week. So, that being said, I got a couple of housekeeping items to get through with first. So as I said, uh, since I record these shows on Sunday, today is uh, Father's Day. So for all the dads out there, um, happy Father's Day. Uh, for you know all you first-time dads out there, and in that group I include uh, my son, Stephen, and his wife, Chiandra, as they are expecting their first child later on this year. And I include my stepson, uh, Alex and Allie, and their Uh, daughter Veronica who uh, is seven months old eight months old as of this recording so you know welcome guys to the Father's Day Club we're glad to have you Um, good luck God bless with your your young ones Uh, for the rest of you out there I hope your Father's Day uh, was enjoyable I hope you got to do things that you like enjoy or or love and share them you know with your family uh so hope everything went well uh also june 19th is also juneteenth and that is the holiday that celebrates the announcement to the last uh group of enslaved uh african people here in this country in 1866 that 
through the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation by President Abraham Lincoln that they were actually free. So, you know, Juneteenth celebrates the de facto end of uh, so-called slavery in the United States and uh, begins, you know, the celebrations that go on. Um, so here we are some 160 something years later and we are celebrating uh, the, the one year anniversary of Juneteenth being uh, commemorated as a federal holiday. Uh, and that was signed into law by President Biden on uh, June 19th of last year, 2021. Uh, so it, it is a holiday that has uh, evolved over the, the years since uh, the first um, celebrations in uh, June 19th in 1866. Uh, since then, it has become a celebration of not only the emancipation of the enslaved people uh, in this country, um, you know, and it has become a, a joyous and festive celebration of freedom and, you know, entrepreneurism and, you know, looking forward vision uh, around the country. So, you know, as an article that I got from uh, insider.com you know it talks about the uh, long-held traditions uh, and through lines that have persisted since the holiday was uh, first envisioned back in the 1860s uh, to its present day now uh, it, it's you know a, again celebration um, thankfulness and recognition of the advancements that have been made and you know that includes music, dance, art, reenactments of uh, key moments in Black history, um, and you know all all kinds of of activities around the country. Um, there are reenactments uh, where the Union generals entered Galveston to proclaim the end of slavery. Uh, so you know. People who are in costume as the Buffalo Soldiers, which was a group of uh, former slaves, free men, and black Civil War soldiers. Uh, they dress up and they ride into Galveston and other locations uh, to reenact the announcement of the end of slavery. Uh, other uh, key points. Uh, there have been uh, people dressing up as other renowned figures as a way to commemorate black history. Uh, for example, in 1996, two girls dressed up as Phyllis Wheatley and Nefertiti at the Theodore Worth Park in Minneapolis. Uh, there are numerous uh, dance contests and parades and exhibitions, everything from traditional marching bands and, and marching formations to step dancers, uh, drill teams, and, and so forth. Uh, another way that the uh, legacy of Juneteenth is celebrated is through pageantry. Uh, there, uh, pageants such as Miss Juneteenth pageants began a way, as a way to celebrate black beauty and achievement. 
especially since pre-existing pageants were predominantly white. Uh, in 2020, the first ever national Miss Juneteenth pageant was held in Memphis, Tennessee. So, you know, it, it is a wide-ranging celebration of the achievement of uh, the, the African-American people here in the United States. Uh, one of the, the more novel ones is uh, the uh, all-black rodeo, which celebrates Juneteenth, and that's with the Bill Pickett Invitational Rodeo. It's an all-black rodeo event that often hosts events to celebrate Juneteenth. And uh, in case you didn't know, Bill Pickett was a championship uh, rodeo rider uh, and also an African-American. Um, there's a park in Texas that was uh, founded by formerly enslaved peoples, and it prepares to celebrate its 150th Juneteenth. So it, it is a, a, a widely and getting wider celebration of the achievements, the, the spirit, and moving forward of people of African descent here in this country. And uh, again, it's the 19th of June every year. Many uh, businesses around the country are starting to recognize it as a holiday in some cases it is a you know a paid holiday in some others it's an it's an optional day or you know considered one of your floating holidays so there's a lot going on so happy Juneteenth everybody uh, take a moment and think about the progress that's been made since 1866 uh, there's still a long way to go but we have made progress and we should celebrate so happy Father's Day and happy Juneteenth to everybody out there. All right, let's get back into uh, what we're really here for to find out what's going on uh, under the hood and the political machinery of the United States. Uh, so this past week, we had um, more of the January 6th hearings. Uh, there are many detailed synopses out there, so I won't go into a deep dive on what's there. Uh, you can use your favorite search engine, type in Jan 6 hearings recap, and you will get more than uh, you, you want to have. And so what's, what's going on? But I do want to take and kind of hit some of the high points that we learned in the previous hearings so far as we move toward the next round, uh, which will occur on Tuesday, the 21st. So... Uh, things we've learned from previous hearings, and this comes courtesy of CNN, um, that the, the crowd took cues from Trump to uh, actually uh, engage in the march to the Capitol and also to, uh, to encourage them in their uh, efforts to break in, uh, and also the, the crowd... Uh, took cues from uh, former President Trump with regard to what to do about uh, former Vice President Mike Pence and, you know, started the chants of hang Mike Pence that were heard in the video evidence that was played at the hearings. Um, also, uh, another high point, Trump really didn't want the riot to stop. Uh, you know, the committee testimony revealed during its first hearing 
that Trump White House officials said the president did not want the U.S. Capitol to stop um, allegedly resisting, I'm sorry, angrily resisting his own advisors who were urging him to call off the rioters and uh, thought his own vice president, quote, deserved, close quote, to be hanged. Uh, and in fact, uh, another detail that it was Vice President Pence, not Trump, who called on the National Guard and military for help uh, at the Capitol uh, as the, the rioters were by that time uh, inside the building and getting more and more agitated and violent uh, in their actions. Um, what was reported uh, and was was evidenced by a video from the committee showed staffers in White House in House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy's office frantically rushing out after rioters had breached the Capitol. Uh, you know, and you know it, it included testimony from uh, such notables in the the Trump administration as former Attorney General William Barr, uh, President Trump's daughter Ivanka, and uh, his spokesman Jason Miller. Uh, Barr claimed that you know Trump's claims of voter fraud, and this is from his videotaped sworn testimony, uh, were uh, his words bullshit. Ivanka Trump said that she respected Barr and accepted what he was saying about the election. And Trump spokesman Jason Miller said the campaign data person had told Trump in pretty blunt terms that he was going to lose. So the the pointing of the evidence uh, in this session of the hearing was that you know Trump was informed of what the progress was in the election. He was uh, made aware and chose uh, for his own reasons to uh, downplay it or outright ignore it. Uh, also in, in the session so far, we had some very, very uh, graphic and uh, emotional testimony from a Capitol Police officer, Caroline Edwards. And she was the first witness who testified before the committee uh, at the first session. Her testimony, as, as I've said in, in my recap of it in prior podcasts, was both riveting and um, heart-wrenching uh, with, with the injuries that she received and yet still managed to get back up and, and work to hold the line, uh, even though you know, they, the Capitol Police were vastly outnumbered. Um, we also found out through the first uh, three sessions about some of the campaign finance details. One of the key details that the committee revealed was that Trump's lies about the election turned into millions of dollars in fundraising for Trump's campaign and political action committee he created after the election. Uh, subsequent uh, testimony following up on that uh, has shown that there is no proof that funds, funds collected actually went to their intended destination by the people who were donating. Um, and then there was talk about Rudy Giuliani, Trump's lawyer at the time, and you know his condition the um the the upshot was uh in that most of the people that engaged with giuliani um the day of the insurrection 
noted that he seemed very, very clear uh, that he was inebriated or intoxicated. Um, so, you know, that is just a few of the high points. Um, obviously, there is, you know, tons of reporting out there. I would recommend uh, go to C-SPAN's website uh, where you can, can stream the entire uh, sessions uh, one by one uh, or, you know, pick through them and so forth. And you can, as we talk about here, you can get an un, um, unspun version of what's going on. You get the facts uh, without, you know, a, any political uh, spinning, any, you know, pundit or talking head uh, opinion offering. You just get the plain video of the hearings as they occurred including the witness testimonies, the videos, and all of it. Uh, it is definitely worth making it a resource if you are following the hearings. Uh, it is a good way since even though the first one was in prime time, you know, starting at 8, the ones that have occurred since have all been during the course of the day. So the ability to go back and you know, rewind and revisit and re-listen to segments of the hearing that you may have missed uh, because you're at work and you know, got a phone call or had to get on that conference call or attend that meeting, you can, in fact, uh, keep up with what's going on in the hearings uh, and get the, the unvarnished information. Again, you know, cspan.com, uh, there are links at the top of the page on the January 6th hearings. I encourage those of you who you know, follow in what we preach here of you know, digging wider, digging deeper, and looking for the unbiased, unvarnished uh, facts of situations to go there. Um, it's not to say you can't you know, listen to your own selected uh, media information of, of choice, you know, whether that's MSNBC, Fox News, CNN, Newsmax, whoever. Uh, but if you want to just listen to gavel to gavel coverage, uh, as I said, I recommend uh, C-SPAN. So, you know, what we've learned uh, to date is and, and, and some things that are very chilling about the January 6th hearing is that we are gaining an understanding of the depths of this plot that was hatched to uh, overturn the results of the 2020 election. And if you listen you know, to the hearings and to the testimony in its entirety, uh, you, you almost can't help but come away with the sense of how very close we came to having that election thrown into turmoil. Um, you know, what happened and what transpired was, you know, there was actually a script that, you know, the, the key players, most notably uh, former Vice President Mike Pence, was intended to follow where he would uh, cite irregularities in the reports from one or more states and basically put the, the vote counting process into suspension send the ballots back to the states for reconsideration. And the, the plan was that at that point, 
the states would take over in terms of substituting the uh, appointed electors that came out of the election results with a selected group of electors that uh, would have come from you know political uh, committee appointees and so forth but uh, particularly in the red states would have much favored the Republican ticket uh, thereby having you know a a handful of individuals and, and I think this was the key point uh, of the first three days and, and when we talk about how close this came the idea that the, the plan was pushing forward was that one person Vice President Mike Pence would disenfranchise you know 81 point something million votes that were cast for the the uh, ultimate winner of the contest uh, President Joe Biden and Vice Pre and Vice President Pence would place Donald Trump back into the presidency um, that is you know a as close as we came should Mike Pence have made uh, the decision to take that action Donald Trump would have been returned as president because the votes would have gone back to the states the states would have re-ratified a new new slates of electors and because of the Republicans uh, outnumber the Democrats in the states and keep in mind each state gets one vote so if it's a Republican state that one vote is Republican if it's a Democratic state that one vote is Democratic Republicans hold more state legislators in this legislatures in this country than Democrats do so by you know uh, a majority of numbers Republicans would have been able to uh, keep Donald Trump in office as president even though the popular vote and the electoral college totals had uh, Joe Biden as the winner of the election and that you know is is a point that you know needs to be kept in consideration as you are watching these hearings you need to understand that this plot which was developed over months and months of planning was a seven-step plan on how to uh, overturn the results of the 2020 election and retain Donald Trump as uh, president of the United States as each particular step in that plan if it was unsuccessful then the process would move to the next step so you know there there was a well thought out strategy on basically how to dismantle uh, the American democracy experiment uh, in the 2020 election and something else to keep in mind and and to plug this into the back of your mind as you watch and listen to the um, the, the hearings 2020 was a dress rehearsal you know was not successful however the lessons learned will show up and will be applied in 2024 we need to you know be aware of it and we need to make sure that uh, we are prepared to do what is needed to be done uh, in order to you know, thwart this, uh, this coup from being repeated in, in our elections. So you know, just something to, to keep in mind um, 
you know, it, this has been a plan that has been long in preparation. Uh, groundwork has been laid over many years at the state levels in, in terms of the Republican Southern strategy and you know stacking the number of uh, Republican uh, legislatures and governors offices uh, throughout the country just so that you know they would have the resources in place in order to carry out this uh, procedural coup uh, over a democratically conducted election so you know we should be very concerned we should be fearful that the the next time they they try this and you know if you listen to the pundits on on both sides um, they say it is you know it is a a possibility a strong possibility that you know some type of uh, some type of rigging of the result of the election will be attempted again in 2024 and should the uh, Republicans take control of the House and Senate in 2022, uh, that will just make that whole process a whole lot easier. So you know, definitely something we need to keep an eye out for and something we need to make sure that, that we are practicing our activism and you know, letting elected officials know that you know, if, if you are in favor of this, that your time in office uh, needs to be limited. So all right, we'll, uh, we'll take a break here, um, do a quick message, and we'll come back and pick up with the rest of our program on the other side. You're listening to the Fired Up Podcast on WJMS Media. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're often influenced by what we see and hear online. Researchers say Black communities have been specifically targeted online by bad actors that post false information about cultural issues, attempting to increase divisions in Black communities, influence how we vote, and influence public opinions. Here's how to stop the spread of cultural disinformation. Get information from reliable sources like experts, researchers, or organizations. Make sure you're not misled by information or quotes shared out of context. Check the account. Was it recently created or has zero followers? It may be a troll bot. If a story seems suspicious, don't share it with your followers. Together, we can stay informed and empowered. This public service announcement is from the National Black Cultural Information Trust. Learn more at NBCIT.org. And welcome back. Thank you for continuing to listen to our podcast as we are recapping uh, what has transpired in the political realm of the U.S. over the last uh, week or so. Um, wanted to wrap up uh, discussion on the hearings and uh, deal a little bit with one of the questions that you hear raised a lot if you're listening to uh, any of the mainstream media sources out there. Um, and it, it's quite simply this, um, and this uh, article from Business Insider uh, kind of captures that really well. Uh, and the, the headline reads, the majority of Americans say Trump should be criminally charged for the role in January 6th Capitol riot. And that's according to some new poll data that has come out over the last uh, week or 10 days or so. Uh, and they're citing an Ipsos ABC News poll 
that says that uh, 58% of the respondents said Trump should be criminally charged for the January 6th riot. Uh, poll respondents said Trump, quote, bears a good or great amount of responsibility for the events of January 6th. Uh, and this comes, you know, as we were just talking about, in the midst of the first round of public hearings uh, from the January 6th committee. Uh, there are, at least at, as of this broadcast, there are uh, six hearings planned but there's no definitive uh, max number that that we could get. Uh, the committee is still uh, ongoing. It is still hearing witnesses. It is still gathering information and evidence and testimony. So we could have uh, hearings that continue through the rest of the summer uh, or uh, beyond. Uh, they, they are going to take this where it leads them. Uh, but in this article that came from uh, Business Insider, uh, it, it cites that a majority of Americans uh, say that former President Donald Trump should be criminally charged for his role in the January 6th Capitol riot. And again, this is according to an Ipsos ABC News poll. 58% of poll respondents, quote, believe Trump bears a good or great amount of responsibility for the events of January 6th and that he should be charged with a crime. Uh, and the percentage, the article reports, favoring criminal charges for the former president has risen since the attack unfolded back in January of 2021 when 54% of respondents to a January ABC News Washington Post poll said, uh, Trump should be charged with inciting a riot. In an April survey posting a, posing a similar question, 52% of the respondents said that Trump should be charged. Uh, in the committee's third public hearing, uh, that which happened this past Thursday, uh, the committee received uh, testimony and presented information that detailed the pressure that former Vice President Mike Pence was subjected to to obstruct the electoral count on January 6th, uh, insiders uh, Grace Panetta reported. And you know, as we mentioned in the first segment, uh, the plan was to have Pence declare the uh, electoral count to be uh, incorrect and send it back to the states. Uh, according to the article, Greg Jacob, Pence's former chief counsel, and retired Judge Michael Ludig testified that they advised Pence as he denied Trump and his attorney's efforts to get him to intervene in the electoral process. Ludig said during the hearing that unduly declaring Trump the winner of the election would have been tantamount to a revolution with a constitutional crisis in America. He also warned warned that Trump and his allies may attempt an election coup in the future and succeed in 2024, where they failed in 2020. Uh, in quoting uh, just Judge Luddy, he said, the former president and his allies are executing that blueprint for 2024 in open and plain view of the American public. And you know, this goes back to, you know, to the poll results. Uh, as I said at the top of this, 58% of Americans, a majority of Americans, say that President Donald Trump uh, committed a crime and should be charged. 
and you know the the evidence that the committee has gathered uh, and and presented so far uh, has been leading in that direction, painting painting that picture uh, in uh, really great detail, very uh, methodically and very deliberately moving through and connecting the dots of all of the events that occurred uh, before leading up to and during the insurrection on January 6th. You know, there, there was, uh, in, in the first hearing, there was video evidence showing the role of the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers in the uh, insurrection uh, process that went on. Uh, one of the notable points that was brought out by the filmmaker who was embedded with the Proud Boys was that on the morning of January 6th at 10 o'clock a.m., before even the, the program of speeches that occurred at the Ellipse uh, uh, was happening, the, the Proud Boys had a group marching to the Capitol. Uh, there was also video evidence that showed uh, members of the Proud Boys stashing weapons in their hotel rooms in Virginia uh, in preparation for what could have been a violent uh, attack, you know, a, a, an armed takeover of the process. What we learned in subsequent sessions, um, the second and, and the third session, was that the Proud Boys had a plan that if they had gotten their hands on Vice President Mike Pence uh, or, um, you know, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, the plan was that those individuals and anyone else uh, in the in the, uh, the the chamber who was voting you know to certify the election had they gotten their hands on any of those individuals that they intended to kill them point blank and and period um, so you know this this was not a uh, a tour um, there was also evidence uh, presented uh, that is you know under investigation that one or more members of Congress were leading uh, people who subsequently showed up at the insurrection on tours of the Capitol campus. Uh, you know, there, there are pictures showing individuals taking photos of you know, stairways and other things which are not normally photo worthy uh, of people taking a tour. Um, now, you know, there are uh, people who have uh, posed, po posited rather, the explanation that they were taking pictures of elements of the architecture of the building uh, and things like that. So, you know, it, it, it's subject to debate, but it, it is clear that this insurrection, this attempted um, overturning of the you know, duly processed votes of the people of the United States on both sides was under, you know, a, an attack, was trying to be subverted. And, you know, we need to make sure that we have paid attention to this, that we continue to pay attention to this. And uh, hopefully the committee will continue to give us the information we need to connect the dots in our own minds as to what went on and draw our conclusions from from that. So you know we will we will keep going. Uh, there's another 
uh, hearing. The next one, as I said, will be on the 21st. And then uh, the uh, one after that will be on the 23rd. And we may or may not hear of additional uh, hearing uh, schedule dates uh, going forward from there. So, you know, as we say on, on this program all the time, you know, you, you have to listen not only to your, you know, new sources of choice, but you have to listen to a wide range of sources. You have to do your diligence, dig wider, dig deeper. Find out from not just your favorite sources, but sources that, you know, you, uh, you're opposed to. You know, if you're a Fox News uh, fan, you, you do want to tune in and, and, and listen in to what they're talking about on CNN, on MSNBC, and, and, and some of the other national media sources, just so that you have as wide a picture of what happened uh, and realize, as we always say, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. So we'll keep up with what's going on in the hearings. We'll let you know, you know the, the key events that happen. But again, I urge you to do your diligence, do your research, find out what you need to know in order to make an informed decision about how your, pol- your politicians have behaved. And if they haven't behaved in a way that, that aligns with what your expectation of them is, uh, you need to carry that information with you into the midterms and beyond into the general election in, in uh, 2022 and 2024, respectively. So we'll keep an eye on it. We'll keep bringing you information and you know helping you to make your informed. All right, so let, let's turn the page. Let's pivot to one of the other major stories that is going on here in, in the U.S. And obviously, that is the ongoing discussion about the fate of the Roe versus Wade uh, decision uh, that legalized abortion here in this country. Um, we are in midway through June, and everybody is anxiously awaiting for the Supreme Court to announce its decision on what it is going to do with the aforementioned Roe v. Wade uh, verdict that was uh, passed in 1973 and prior to uh, the last few years had been considered pretty much uh, what's called stare decisis or decided law in this country. However, with the, the shift toward you know, more conservative thinking and the appointment of three judges by former President Donald Trump, uh, the Supreme Court uh, has indicated, and in fact, we uh, got a leaked draft memo that was written back in February that seemed to indicate the strong intention of the court to either overturn in its entirety or severely restrict it to the point of making it uh, pretty much you know, useless, uh, the decision that protects a woman's right to get an abortion here in the United States. And there's been a lot of back and forth uh, about this, as you might expect. Uh, I went to the Associated Press site and just collected a bunch of snippets, um, headlines and some some lead uh, paragraphs from articles uh, over the last uh, month, two months, uh, 
just from the AP that is surveying what's going on around the country. You know, and for example, uh, Washington State prepares for more patients seeking abortions. Uh, this came out uh, on the 18th of June. And, you know, Dateline Seattle, while the, the nation waits for the Supreme Court opinion on a blockbuster abortion case that could overturn Roe v. Wade, Planned Parenthood of Washington is getting ready for an increase in out-of-state patients seeking an abortion. Uh, there's a, another that comes out of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Some clinics halting abortions while uh, bracing for Roe's fall. Uh, abortion providers in some places uh, in South Dakota uh, where the procedure could be banned if the U.S. Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade are bracing for a ruling by, um, by halting scheduling for the procedure, transitioning staff to help patients travel to other states, and creating networks of clinics that would span across regions of the country. Uh, another snippet, uh, this one from Nashville. If Roe falls, some DAs won't enforce the anti-abortion laws. Uh, this one is saying, as the Supreme Court appears on track to overturn the constitutional right to abortion, progressive prosecutors around the U.S. are declaring they won't enforce some of the most restrictive and punitive anti-abortion laws that GOP-led states have waited years to implement. Uh, so, you know, stepping out of the article for a second there, just in those first three, you know, we're seeing, you know, preparation happening in some states, and we'll, we'll see some more of that. Uh, but this, this one um, that was reported on the 16th out of Nashville uh, is, is very interesting because this could become extremely contentious uh, if district attorneys around, you know, in areas of the country decide they are not going to enforce, um, you know, some of the, as it says, restrictive and punitive anti-abortion laws uh, that GOP-led states have waited years to implement. So those are probably going to wind up with some of the, the court battles that we'll be talking about in the coming months. Um, so another, another snippet, and this one came out on June 15th, um, says U.S. abortions rise. One in five pregnancies were terminated in 2020. So according to a report from the Guttmacher Institute released on Tuesday, June 15th, Fewer women were getting pregnant, and a larger share of them chose abortion. About one in five pregnancies ended in abortion in 2020. There were 3.6 million births, a decline between 2017 and 2020. The number and rate of U.S. Uh, abortions increased from 2017 to 2020 after a long decline, according to figures released. And the report uh, put out by the Guttmacher Institute showed that, um, uh, and by the way, this is a research group that supports abortion rights. They counted more than 930,000 abortions in the U.S. Uh, 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 from 2017 to 2020. So nearly a million abortions uh, in that uh, four-year time frame. And, you know, again, waiting to see what's going to happen with the ultimate decision on Roe v. Wade. Um, out in Sacramento, California, 
abortion amendment moving quickly in California legislature, something else that we're seeing occur around, around the state that some blue states, some democratically controlled states are looking to establish you know, safe zones where uh, people will be able to come and, and receive abortion services. Uh, but the, articles, the article leads, uh, fearing the U.S. Supreme Court will soon overturn Roe v. Wade, California Democrats on Tuesday moved quickly to ensure the state's progressive voters have a chance this fall to make abortion a constitutional right in the nation's most populous state. So uh, they're working toward a referendum uh, in that to place that into uh, laws as decided by referendum if it won't be decided by the legislature. Uh, the Kentucky AG sues over abortion law blocked by federal court. Kentucky's Republican Attorney General went to court on Tuesday claiming the Democratic governor's administration missed a deadline to set up a regulatory process for a sweeping new abortion law currently blocked by a federal court order. Um, here's another one. Um, this can comes out of Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, abortion foes accustomed to small wins get ready for a big one. After decades of tiny steps and endless setbacks, America's anti-abortion movement is poised for the possibility of a massive leap. With the Supreme Court due to deliver a landmark ruling expected to seriously curtail or completely overturn the constitutional right to abortion found in the 49-year-old Roe v. Wade decision, anti-abortion advocates across the U.S. are hopeful they'll be recording a win. So, you know, the, the anti-abortion groups uh, see that, you know, there is a, a potential victory here for something they have been after for a very long time. Um, so here, here's another one, and I think we'll see more and more of these um, appearing in the news headlines uh, through the rest of the summer, uh, particularly if the decision is overturned by the Supreme Court. And again, these are all uh, snippets of articles that uh, were posted uh, to the AP News uh, network uh, over the course of about the last week to 10 days. Uh, and this one comes out of St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, the headline reads, Synagogue Challenges Florida Abortion Law Over Religion. Uh, a new Florida law prohibiting abortion after 15 weeks, with some exceptions, violates religious freedom rights of Jews in addition to the state constitution's privacy protections the synagogue claims in a lawsuit. So, you know, here the, uh, the, the, the synagogue is, you know, saying that, you know, it, it violates uh, some religious freedom rights uh, that are, are in existence. So, you know, there, there may be some additional uh, churches and, and, you know, and so forth that will tag on to this one as well. Uh, another from June 14th, New York State to protect abortion providers under new laws. Uh, new York has expanded legal protections for people seeking and providing abortions in the state under legislation signed by Gover Governor Kathy Hochul on Monday. The Democratic governor pushed for the laws in anticipation of the U.S. Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. Um, 
you know, and, and it's not just governments that are expressing, you know, their feelings uh, on what is, is set to happen in, in the next few weeks. The CEO of Yelp says abortion rights stand is a risk worth taking. Uh, many major companies have chosen to stay quiet on the abortion debate, but Yelp and its CEO, Jeremy Stoppelman, have chosen a different path. The San Francisco-based online review site is among the handful of companies covering travel costs for employees and their dependents who must travel out of state to obtain an abortion, a thorny topic poised to become the chatter of many boardrooms if the Supreme Court overturns the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade decision. Uh, you know, and the next one here is one that reminds me of something that was uh, a, a, a frequent occurrence in the pre-1973 time period, uh, and that was where um, arson was used, uh, in this case, at an Oregon anti-abortion center, uh, which is being investigated by federal law enforcement. Uh, They're investigating a fire that broke out on Friday morning at an anti-abortion center in a suburb east of Portland, and that's again in, or in Oregon. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives said on Twitter that they considered the fire at a First Image Pregnancy Resource Center in Gresham to be suspicious in nature. Uh, and according to KOIN-TV that reported the fire began at around 3 a.m. Uh, I can recall that you know, we used to see uh, periodic fires, uh, cases of arson at abortion clinics in the early 70s, again, prior to the Roe decision. Uh, and and you know, in, in many cases, uh, many of those cases uh, were never solved. Um, so uh, another snippet that came out of uh, California, California Democrats want abortion to be a constitutional right. Um, and this one is dated June 8th. And I think as we, we mentioned in an, in an earlier snippet, um, that California is looking to codify the right to an abortion in their state constitution. Uh, and in, in this case, it's saying a proposed amendment to the state constitution that would protect the rights to an abortion and contraceptives. Uh, it must get a two-thirds vote in the state assembly and the Senate before June 30th to qualify for the November ballot. So the clock is ticking there. So we'll hit a couple more real quick uh, as we uh, wind down to the end of the podcast. Uh, in Wisconsin, the governor is asking the uh, GOP to repeal a dormant abortion ban. Uh, governor Tony Evers on Wednesday called a special session for the Republican-controlled legislature to repeal the state's dormant 173-year-old law banning abortion, uh, a move that's more likely to win him political points with his Democratic base in a re-election year than it is to result in a repeal. And, you know, in addition, one of the other things, and we talked about this uh, as, as we've done our, our review of, you know, the Supreme Court and the run-up to their decision on Roe, is that once you know, we get past this, 
Republican conservative uh, uh, legislators and, and senators and, and House representatives have said that they're they're not stopping there, that they are coming after even uh, additional uh, rights that have been uh, passed by the court that have not been codified into law under the Constitution. And one of those is uh, is on same-sex marriage. Um, and this comes out of Salt Lake City, Utah. As the nation awaits a decision from the U.S. Supreme Court regarding a Mississippi law that calls for, that calls for banning abortion after 15 weeks of uh, pregnancy, LGBTQ advocates are pushing to codify protections for same-sex marriages in states throughout the country. And I would tag on to that, that, you know, there are more of, you know, similar uh, rights that have been in place or, you know, practice based on court decisions, one of which is uh, integrated schooling, you know, Brown versus Board of Education is another one that appears to have a, a bullseye that has been placed on it. Um, so, you know, same-sex marriage, uh you know, Brown versus Board and integrated education, uh, many of these things that uh, conservatives uh, right now are opposed to uh, seem to be uh, targets of opportunity that they are going to be looking at uh, once uh, a, a final status on Roe versus Wade uh, has occurred. Um, and lastly, you know, the, the this one uh, was uh, it, not related to the Supreme Court decision, but instead, you know, to one of the other huge stories that we've we've been uh, covering and following over the last few weeks, and that is the shooting in the school in Uvalde, Texas. Um, there is a, a call now coming from several pastors and rabbis around the the country that are challenging their conservative counterparts with this question and and i think it's a good one i think it is one that that bears some some honest uh public discourse and discussion their question is are you pro-life if you are pro-guns so the, the article, the snippet is, after a gunman killed 19 children and two teachers at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas on May, May 24th, uh, several pastors around the country challenged their conservative counterparts with this question. Are you pro-life if you are pro-gun? So, and, and I've heard that, that topic brought up on some of the televised talk shows and some of the, um, the broadcast talk shows on radio uh, across the spectrum. And what I've heard is um, incomplete answers, half answers, or no answers. Uh, when, when approached by that question, conservative religious leaders, um, you know, it, they, they waffle, they hesitate, they equivocate. Um, nobody says, you know, it, it's a yes-no question. If, if you're pro-life, how can you be pro-life if you are pro-gun? You know, particularly as we look in the aftermath of Uvalde and, you know, the store in Buffalo 
and you know the the killing of you know the the Asian workers in California and all of the gun violence we've had, um, it it does lay open a a potential or a possible hypocrisy for religious leaders that you know, stand on a soapbox preaching that they are pro-life, yet turning you know no attention or little attention to the amount of death and destruction that are caused by guns in this country. So, you know, something that we all need to think about, something that we need to express our opinions to our elected officials. You know, it's another call to action. It's another chance for us to practice our activism by making sure that we clearly and unequivocally communicate to our elected officials where we stand on these issues of consequence here in this country. Uh, that's what this show is all about. Uh, we want to have those discussions. If you have comments, if you want to chime in, please send email to the program at firedupradio at yahoo.com. Uh, follow our Facebook page, and uh, you know, we will continue to post information there. And you know, check us out on wjmsradio.com, and you can find our podcasts on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcast. So if you've missed our prior broadcasts or episodes that I've mentioned uh, in the course of this podcast, uh, go to those sources. Uh, you can find us, search for WJMS, and you'll see our Fired Up collection appear under, under that banner. So I, I hope you will uh, reach out, as I said, firedupradio at yahoo.com is our email address. Send me comments, uh, send me your thoughts, and you know we'll, we'll bring them up on the show. That's going to wrap it up for this edition. Thank you, as always, for listening. Please stay safe. Remember, there, there are other variants of uh, COVID out there, not to mention monkeypox. So please do what you can to keep yourself, your family, and your community safe. Thank you all for listening, and I look forward to posting another episode of the Fired Up Podcast in seven days. Mm-hmm.